Hey, good afternoon, everybody. I am Luke Copeland, and I am joined with my friend, my good friend, much smarter than I am, Eric Reynolds. What's up, Eric? I don't think this joke works because I didn't put down your name. You do need to explain to me why you have mine today. Uh, just really because I want to mess with you. You so so you chose that name just so you could make that one terrible joke to start the show. Yes, and and okay. by the way, I the only jokes I make are terrible jokes. That that's okay. My name is actually a terrible joke today too because we're talking about apologetics. So that's that's what inspired it. Wow, that's that really is a terrible joke. That's worse than my joke. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a true dad pun. <sighs> yeah, you're real punny. <laughs> get it i i also feel like it's a, it's a pretty solid pun because the apology for the pun is actually in the pun itself uh i'm trying to share us on facebook my bad i'm distracted i'm sorry you gotta carry when i'm distracted luke you have to carry the rest of the show oh okay uh, yeah, hey yeah. everybody good to see you thanks for joining the show today we're excited to talk about something that i'm very passionate about today uh, and then we're also going to have for any of our special banter club, um, was it banter club members? Do I have that right? Yeah, you big dummy. <laughs> uh, an after hour show today. So there will be free content for everyone and then some exclusive content for our supporters. Why don't you tell them what we're going to talk about on the after hour show, just in case they want to go ahead. and First off, why don't you tell people who are listening how they can subscribe to the banter club, how they can yeah. join it and get access to the after hour show absolutely if you want access to the after hour show and a host of other goodies just go to patreon.com slash bible banter and you can join the banter club for as little as three dollars a month and every penny of that money is really just going to go back to um re reimbursing eric for a lot of uh, uh investments that he's made in the show he's paid for equipment we also pay to use Streamyard so that it can look as good as it does hey moose welcome to the show my friend good to have you but if you are interested in joining the bible banter club today our after hours show will be about george floyd uh, and the controversy surrounding the police brutality uh, mm -hmm. and so if you're interested in hearing that conversation uh, hop on over to patreon.com slash Bible banter and join the club. Would you say that you are pro or against police brutality? <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. I don't know why you're laughing. Your question is so funny. I can't come up with a funnier response. Against. I'm against police brutality. Okay. Well, I think you we, were. Hold on, hold on. What would you say you're pro or against police brutality? I'm, I'm obviously against. I'm, I'm <laughs> ardently against. And for multiple, for the, to me, police brutality is one of the most disgusting things. And I, and I'm pro. I'm pro popo. You know, I think it's, I think it's good to have law and well, order. Well, let's, I think. Let's oh, let's yeah. not, let's not give it away. We're going to talk about this okay. in the after hour show. Um, okay. Today now we're that's gonna... now now uh, look. You got to tell them that you have to be in the second tier of the banter club. You have to be a banter club. Uh, I think. What do we? What do we, What do you call? Let me let me double check. I got to consult. Oh, uh, with the you have to be club. a banter club uh, banter club veteran. Yep, you got to be a banter club veteran. Yeah. The that's BCB. Five. That's five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. So yeah, and so you can actually go ahead and like sign up for that now, so that when we post it, we'll probably post it either tonight or tomorrow. Because what we do is we have to like create a whole new. Yeah. 
uh, in here. What? Carolyn. <laughs> Sounds like when did you stop eating your wife? Well, I hope I hope that our listeners and ourselves we've not beat beaten our wives at all. Yeah, uh, I also want to be I want to be clear that uh, violence is no joking matter. However, that that was a very funny joke, Carolyn. Uh, but we're we're going to be talking today about apologetics, which, despite the pun in my name, is has nothing to do with apologies and everything to do with defense of the faith. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, what are we going to do first today, Eric? Are, uh, are we going to talk about Clone Wars? Or are we saving that for another day? So I, we can't talk about Clone Wars because I didn't go ahead and rewatch the movie because okay. I'm lazy. Um, and I, I'm so lazy. I didn't have time to sit down and watch the Clone Wars for the purpose of giving some sort of review here, which I'm sure Carolyn's really excited about because, um, I don't think she's a big Star Wars fan, but I could be wrong. Fair enough. So usually we sort of start with something light and fluffy, but today, if you want, we can get right into it. Well, when Uh, we start talking apologetics. Well, why don't you just, how's your day, man? Tell me about your day. I've had a really good day today. I'm going to tell you guys a really quick story about Eric Reynolds and a way that God used him. So about, I guess it's been about nine months ago now, I had the privilege of attending a... Like our, It's like our friendship has come full term. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really are going to have a baby. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. As far as I know, Eric and his wife are not pregnant. The So I had the privilege of attending a fairly private and small pastor's getaway with Eric and some other pastors and younger pastors in the denomination and um, was a great time and a real, a real, real great opportunity for some spiritual growth and time with the Lord and some really great teaching sessions, sessions. And Eric taught one on discipleship in the church and told us about how some of the ways that he was raising up other leaders in the church and um, bringing them together in small groups to study the Word of God and to learn about biblical uh, leadership and discipleship. And, you know, it's not just that we're called to make disciples, it's that we're called to make disciple makers. Mm-hmm. And I was really convicted by that, that lesson with Eric, and I went home and I started praying and seeking and, and pursuing um, opportunities to disciple, especially younger men in, in my church, and for about six months, I, I, like every time it seemed like it was going to come to fruition, a guy would show up for a couple of weeks and then he'd fall off the radar. And then this whole crisis came. And it's amazing some of the ways that God has used this bad thing to produce good things. I just got to spend a, quite a bit of time today discipling younger men in my church. And it, it was such a joy. And I'm thankful to God and thankful to Eric for his obedience in sharing uh, a real convicting message about make disciple makers. So thank you for that, brother. Hey, uh, you know what, bud? I'm here for you. Um, uh, you know, I, here's the thing. We all need each other in the church and we need to, there are some who have different types of gifts, different types of passions. And um, we have those gifts and passions for the purpose of spurring each other on and mm-hmm. edifying one another and building up the church. So I'm grateful that the Lord uh, used me to, to help lead you in some sort of way. I even shared 
uh, off air when you had mentioned that to me that uh, I wish that we were doing maybe a little bit better job of where I'm at. Uh, we've, you know, certain things have kind of fallen by the wayside because it's really easy in ministry to get distracted by things uh, yeah. because the, the tyranny of the urgent can really take hold of, of your time and your mind and your heart. So I think I, I personally have fallen into that trap of the tyranny of the urgent and I'm trying to, I'm trying to dial some of that back. So We'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully I can be more like you, Luke. That's why my name today on, on the bottom is listed as Luke Copeland, because one day I hope to grow up and be like you. How are you today, Eric? Uh, <laughs> I'm a little tired. I played hockey last night, so like I'm pretty sore. My hip flexors are like super sore, um, but I feel good. It's a good kind of sore. It's a good kind of tired. Uh I skipped my morning cigar, so if I look if I look angry, probably because of that, um, which Luke tells me is a sign of addiction. And if that's the case, like when we're talking about it, there are acceptable forms of addiction within the Christian life. Are there not, Luke? I'm speaking tongue in cheek. Oh my goodness! You just you just opened a whole can of worms. I wasn't ready for today. There are acceptable forms of addiction. Explain. Because my initial response is no. Oh, like coffee? Coffee, man. <laughs> coffee. Uh, coffee well, or caffeine. So Okay, so I, I think, I guess we should define our terms. I think there is a difference between uh, addiction and patterns or habits. So if, like, you feel like your day doesn't start till you have coffee, that's fine. Thank God for coffee. If you if on the days you don't have coffee, you're a terrible human being. I think that's a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, Glenn said too much cigar smoking might make good sore turn into bad sore. Just saying, uh, he's right. <laughs> um, I said um, as I was on the bench with a couple of the guys last night, and everybody's winded, man, because for the last two months, like no one's been working out. Because yeah. no one has enough money to have a home gym, uh, except for some people. Or, maybe that, or a home or, hockey rink. Yeah, or a home hockey. But even still, like some guys were have been riding bikes or, you know, doing this stuff. And for me, hockey's been my exercise. I've lost weight. I've been in, you know, got into better shape. And then you go two months without doing anything. Uh, and I was like, dude, I am. I drink coffee, read books, write things, and smoke cigars. Like I've been doing that for a month and a half, two months. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be the best on the ice tonight. Bickford, Bickford is my new favorite. <laughs> so I think he's trying to insinuate that I am a terrible person when I don't drink <laughs> coffee. I will say this. Uh, <laughs> I, I like you, Bickford, and like you, Luke, am a terrible person um, in and of myself, but I am clothed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ in his righteousness. So there's no good in me, but that good, which has been given to me through him. So and, yes, and, I am a terrible and, person and I'm happy. And the, to good, and the good being produced in you by the Holy Spirit as fruit. Amen. Not, not just an outer good. It's an inner good that he also gets credit for. Amen. Right by my coffee maker is a sign that says, coffee and Jesus or Jesus and coffee or something like that. My wife put it up there. I, I hardly ever read it. I just know it's there. Now I, I like Wes's comment here. Um, 
no no acceptable forms of addiction. This is the reason for seasons of fasting. I like that. I think that actually is a sort of a, a good test sometimes of whether a gift from God has become an idol is can you remove yourself from it for a season? Yeah. And if yeah. you can, come back to it and thank God for it. Yeah. And, I, and I've certainly gone through that before. Like uh, my wife and I tried this diet and like for, for I think two months, I didn't have coffee or any form of caffeine. And I did not kill anyone, which is a testimony to God's work in my life. <laughs> is that the standard for holy behavior? Just don't murder. <laughs> hey, funny thing is, we are going to talk about holiness at, at some point. Right. Actually, you can go on. If you join the banter club, actually on the on the uh, VIP tier, you have the choice of voting on a particular topic uh, for the uh, for upcoming episodes. Unfortunately, I didn't see that someone had. We've only had one vote out of the two people who are in the VIP, um, and they voted for to, for us to talk about Christian piety, which I'm very excited to talk about. So maybe we'll do that next Thursday as long as the standings yeah. hold. Yeah, uh, so sorry for the one person I don't know who it was. It was either Matt or Jess Rice. They voted for it, um, but I would encourage you to pick up the book uh, Christian Piety from Lewis Bailey. It might be in the library that's accessible on our Patreon page from uh, for all tiers of of Patreon of the Banther Club and that's free. It's a PDF. If not, I will certainly post it today. So I would encourage you to read that. We'll talk about that next week, but today we're talking about apologetics, which is, of course, the Christian practice of saying sorry for anything that offends anyone. That is not what apologetics is. Eric, tell us what apologetics actually is. Apologetics is uh, is the um, the practice, I guess. Some would call it a science. Others would call it an art. I think it's a mix of both, but it's the study of the defense of the faith. That's essentially what it is. If you look at evangelism, you don't have evangelism without apologetics. And apologetics, when it's done best, is evangelistic in nature. It has the desire. You are making a case on a particular belief or belief system and saying, here is why we believe it. And it should be inherently evangelistic in that you are hopeful that those who are listening to you and who might disagree that their minds would be changed. Mm -hmm. So there are a few different forms or approaches to apologetics. So you have the classical approach, which well, is hold on before we get into all those details, let's lay a bit of a, a biblical foundation. Okay. Uh, so I think some of the key verses would be in second Peter, where Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason, which in Greek is an apologia mm -hmm. for your faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and then I think there are two key examples of apologetics in the book of Acts, which are Paul and Apollos, mm -hmm. who are both recording as vigorously defending the assertion that Jesus is the Christ in That's the right. synagogues. That's right. And and I actually I pulled up to me one of my favorite. Um, you could you could look at this and you could either read evangelism or apologetics into it. But you look at Paul at the Areopagus, right? And this is in Acts 17. I'm just going to read it if that's okay with you, Luke. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We are called Bible banter, so we might want to read the Bible every once in a while. So I'm reading, I'm reading from the ESV. Um, so Paul Paul writes this. So or excuse me, Paul does not write this. Dr. Luke writes this. And Dr. Luke writes, so Paul. Staying in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to, or gives, or he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, and they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Kind of sounds like the second commandment. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And that is the word of the Lord. It's a good word. Man, every so, word from the, from the word is a good word. Amen. Eric, before we start talking about the particulars of apologetics, I do have one more thing I wanted to ask you and that I wanted to share, which is um, why we're interested in apologetics, because you and I agreed we wanted to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I know for me, my first exposure to apologetics was actually through Ravi Zacharias, mm -hmm. and uh, he fascinated me because at the time I was an adolescent really wrestling with my faith and trying to figure out if it could, if my faith was reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, and here was, here was a man who spoke very, very intelligently and clearly had tremendous faith and was not afraid to defend it uh, in the midst of other very intelligent non-believers. Mm -hmm. And then uh, later on in life, I was really fascinated with Dr. James White mm -hmm. when I heard him clearly preaching the gospel in a mosque, a Muslim mosque. And I thought, wow. What and, and and who else would have the opportunity to do something like this but an apologist? Yeah. So what, what was it that really caught your attention? Why do you care about apologetics? Uh, because because I'm naturally inquisitive. I, I like to ask questions. Um, I think it's because I, I like to under I like to have a firm understanding. And uh, so when I first came into the faith. And I was kind of in one of those popular evangelical churches that, hey, just believe what we tell you and don't think real deeply about things. That doesn't sit well when you naturally think deeply about almost everything, right? So 
I start asking questions and start like, I would say having good doubts, like doubt the, here's the thing, right? Doubts are important in the Christian life because doubts cause you to ask questions and God never tells us to not ask questions. In fact, I think he's pleased when we do. It's why we have things like the catechism that come that we we use scripture to to illustrate for us the questions that we naturally have about the faith, like who is God and, and all these, you know, all the things that we've been walking through. So doubt leads to questions, and it should be embraced by the church instead of pushed away. We should have a a, a place in which there's healthy doubt where you can ask questions and then seek answers together as the church. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, too many churches seek to quench or, or squelch. Or, I don't know the term, but essentially um, if you have doubts, then keep them to yourselves. And, and, and that's, and that to me is tragic. So I was naturally inquisitive um, coming into the faith. And to me, I want to say that God has used my inquisitive nature as a way to firm up or shore my, my belief in my faith, because when people ask questions, um, I have friends, I have family members that are atheists or agnostic and whatever. They'll say, oh, I, I just don't believe because of X. And I'll go, well, that's a stupid reason not to believe. Let me <laughs> tell you why. <laughs> yeah. So like, I really want to hear someone who has a good reason. Not, like, like, tell me a reason why you don't believe. And then, like, I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just saying, like, you're operating from a presupposition or, or a belief that's faulty. And yeah. I want someone to point out my own logical inconsistencies. I, I like to try to understand things and have logical, a logical inconsistent faith, a logical and consistent worldview. And to me... Um, apologetics helped bring about what is logical in, in, in the Christian faith, where other studies of things where we just say, well, just believe what this guy says because he's got a master's degree. The appeal to authority, it, when someone appeals to their own authority and says, just believe me, that is um, when they have already lost the argument. Now, time out, because I love everything you're saying, but you're starting to get into the weeds now. So I'm sorry. No, it's OK. But that's what exactly what we're going to do now. I want to encourage you guys who are listening along in the comments section. Please feel free to share who some of your favorite apologists are. Mm-hmm. But now let's go ahead. And, and Eric, why don't you continue on the train that you were talking about? Because I love that in explaining why you love apologetics, you're char- you're already sort of making a pitch as to why anyone else should care. Um what, what is the what and why of apologetics? What is it and why do we do it? So, Paul, I think, I think you um, teasing out the term uh, apologia or um, from the original gr- Greek, right? Reasonable. It, it's a reason for faith. Now, we can, we can boil it down and say the reason we have faith is that um, our hearts have been regenerated and we've been given by God's grace the gift of faith. Amen. Amen. But there's a reasonableness. <laughs> there's there are reasons that are logically consistent in in what makes um, the Christian faith true, and it's important for us to to have that foundation to ask good questions because you know we saw the um, recently I never heard of Hawk Nelson, but apparently that's like a big Christian band. Um, 
that uh the lead singer got you know he he has walked away from the faith and from what i'd heard he said like i've had all these doubts and all these questions that no one could answer for me not only that but i didn't feel comfortable and we as the church has have made it uncomfortable for people to ask questions and um i think we're all to blame in a sense i want to interject something here because i'm totally with you I feel very blessed in that I actually grew up in a spiritual environment where I could ask questions, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really key, one of the key ways that God preserved me in the faith Mm -hmm. was that he surrounded me with parents and with teachers who weren't afraid of my doubt Mm -hmm. and weren't afraid of my questions. But I think people, why, why do you think some parents are afraid of doubt? Why do you think people in the church are afraid when someone says, Hey, I, I'm struggling with, with, um, the existence of God. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there are three reasons. The first is that they're afraid for that person, and they're afraid if that they answer those questions, they'll encourage more doubt, and so endanger the soul of that person. Um, which, which of course is silly because God can't be fooled. If if they don't sincerely believe, they're not going to get in on Pascal's wager. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they are. Uh, fearful of dishonoring God. Like I think there is a perception sometimes that questions and doubts um, are are like disrespectful to God, which again is silly because if you read the Psalms, they're full of all kinds of questions directed yeah. at God and some of them quite irreverent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the third reason is that because it makes people uncomfortable because they have to come to terms with their own doubts and questions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I totally agree with you that we really should foster within the church uh, a freedom to express doubt and question. But there was something else I wanted to say, because I was glad you mentioned the singer of Hawk Nelson. He's actually the second sort of big Christian musical artist to come out like this within the past few months. There was also a former singer-songwriter for Hillsong who came out and said a lot of the same things. And one of the things that they both said that to me was funny, uh, I'm sure to them it's not, but to me it was, was they talked about these doubts and these questions and said, no one has any answers when in fact, Christian apologists and theologians have been attempting to answer these questions for hundreds of years, which tells me that the people in their churches um, who they might have asked these questions to had never wrestled with the questions themselves or else they would have offered some answers. Yeah, and it's and it's sad because I think many in our churches are just like, well, uh, pastor, I just, I don't need the deep theology. Just give me, just give me the goods on Sunday morning and, and that's it. Like, just give me what I need to know and I'll take it at face value. And as much as I appreciate people's trust in me as their pastor in main expositor of the word, um, I appreciate that very much. Uh, hmm. But we are called to engage intellectually. And there are some people that, that maybe they, um, they're gifted in other ways and, and whatnot. I'm not saying that everybody has to be, you know, not everyone's going to be Ravi Zacharias or James yeah. White or, yeah. Fran- or 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 any of those guys, right? Yeah. Um, or or uh, or Eric Reynolds, you know. But I, Carolyn, we don't need any more than one Eric Reynolds, that's for sure. Yeah. But Carolyn just said something that I think is connected to what you're saying. She said many parents don't know how to answer the questions. I think another fear is that people in the church are afraid to say, "I don't know." And we shouldn't be afraid to say, I don't know. That is sometimes one of the best things that I can say to people asking hard questions. I always seek as a teacher and a pastor to give the best biblical answer that I can, but I'm not afraid to tell them I don't know. Oftentimes that answer 
will drive them into study and prayer. Mm -hmm. Or like, you can just say, I don't know, give me some time to study it. And, and maybe we can even study it together. You know, so, but there are so many questions, so many good questions. I, I, I forget what podcast it was on um, or might've actually been on, on a video. I forget it, one of the McDowell's either sh uh, was on and they asked like essentially explain to us what apologetics is and, and or how to start in apologetics. So the, I want to share this. How can we start in apologetics, whether it's uh, Luke or Eric or in your local church or you personally, how do we start in apologetics? He said, first, ask whatever what look at your beliefs whatever your beliefs are list out your beliefs now defend it now just give a case for it that's it give a case so if you believe in the triune god give the case for the triune god and right and that that is what you're doing you're starting to develop your logical consistent argument or defense of what you believe um, now here now, now here i think we do need to start talking about the categories of apologetics because as you're talking about reasonability and logic and defensibility um, I think this is where presuppositionalists and classic apologists start to depart from one another. So why don't you introduce those categories and then maybe we can share sort of where we fall. So I'll readily admit, um, I, I don't have a firm grasp on, on say, I don't know all the ins and outs of every approach. So, mm -hmm. so I, so I want to at least um, give a disclaimer that I am ignorant in some ways, but I'm sure Bickford will chime in when he can. And I mean that in the most positive light. He, he really will. He's a smart guy, but you kind of have three main approaches. You have classical, um, I almost say classical liberalism, classical <laughs> apologetics, the classical approach you have. Uh, presuppositional approach and you have the evidentiary approach mm -hmm. the evidentiary approach is when you're looking for evidence to confirm things that are already in the scriptures mm -hmm. um, that's the evidentiary approach so that's kind of like what um, ken ham and answers in genesis do you know they're looking for evidence to justify what is in the scriptures mm -hmm. the presuppositional approach says that you have to argue from a view in which you're assuming the christian worldview and you're imposing that on the arguments. Like you're not yeah. trying to justify the Christian worldview. You're trying to show how it's logically consistent and you're tearing apart other, other worldviews. Mm -hmm. um, and then the classical approach has kind of two things, uh, two steps. You're trying to uh, show that monotheism is correct, that there is a God and that, the, and that God is one. And then from there, you're, you are producing why the Christian worldview is correct. Um, yeah. I'm actually, I just found RC Sproul on Right Now Media has what is supposed to be a really good 30 lesson series, 33 lesson series on the classical approach to, um, to apologetics. And I actually plan on watching that soon. So I forget what it's called, but I'll look it up. And, and, and if you're getting lost in all these approaches, um, I think a lot of them really boil down to the, the way that you think about your uh, the person that you are talking with, right? Uh, do you do you view them as able to be swayed by evidence, or do you view them as uh, having a totally depraved mind and unable to see any evidence properly? Like there's there's a lot of um, I think conversation to be had within apologetics, not just about methods, but about uh, what the Bible actually says about believers and unbelievers and conversion and that that's where 
I think I probably can't say that I'm a presuppositionalist um, because I often will take an evidentiary or a classical approach, but I find that the presuppositional approach to me is the one that uh, makes the most sense in light of what scripture says about the unbeliever, that they are essentially ensnared by their own sinful minds. Um, and, this, and this is where I think we should also talk about why we do apologetics, because obviously, to your point, apologetics at its heart is evangelistic, mm-hmm. that we are seeking. Um, and, it's to, best, and it's best. Yes. At its best. At its worst, it's just trying to be a jerk. Yeah. Um, and right. Something that someone pointed out recently, you, you said you're not a presuppositionalist, but you like James White. He's definitely a presuppositionalist. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just to push back on one thing that you said, you said you have to keep in mind what's going to persuade this person that you're talking to, or at least that's what mm-hmm. I hear you saying. Oh, no, that, no. What, what I was trying to say was um, the approach you take is going to be affected by what you think it is that um, the person you're talking to actually needs to hear. Like, are you persuading them? Are you trying to give them evidence? Or are you just speaking the truth to them? Mm. Well, that affect your, your approach yeah. and what you believe about them. Yeah. Well, I do. So um, these camps, people that fall into one of these three camps are usually very territorial, <laughs> um, at least from what I've, what I've seen online. Mm. Neither of us are huge apologists, so I don't, I don't really go into these circles of apologists that seem to really banter back and forth. And maybe that's just their nature because they're professional apologists and they might be great brothers in Christ. I'm not sure. I'm not mixed up in that drama, which is a okay with me. I, 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 I know a little, I know a little bit of it. And I would say that um, the not, not, this isn't always the case. Obviously there are personalities at play, but I would say that generally um, the presuppositionalists are much quicker to criticize the other types of apologists than the other types are to uh, criticize the presuppositionists. Probably because they're mostly reformed. <laughs> and and, and uh, in my... that was that was that was my point. That was the point I was trying to make. Maybe I made it really poorly. Is that your your theology will affect the yeah. way that you understand apologetics? Yeah. So like Bickford had mentioned Van Til. Uh, being one of his favorite apologists, Van Til wrote the book on presuppositional apologetics. Who's, um, you know, he's ref- obviously a reformed guy. So, presuppositional presuppositionalism is very common within reformed theology, reformed circles. Um, however, there are some classical uh, classical apologists that are also reformed, like R.C. Sproul. Yeah. I- Nathaniel, I may, may, let me clarify what I said before, because I, I think your comment is helpful. I think my point was not that presuppositionalists discount evidence. It's that they acknowledge that no amount of evidence will convert uh, a rebellious sinner. That, that they, they think, can present evidence, but they can't persuade someone into the kingdom. And I think that's right, Luke. And I, and I, what happens is people mischaracterize people in which they disagree with in some way so i think the people that say well the presuppositionalists never use any evidence well that's not the case um and and that's also not the case with the classical classical apologists um i was i was talking to someone before this and i was saying my approach is i i lean towards the classical or the presuppositional approach and you know i don't i don't have a firm grasp yet on on if i lean in one camp over the other but there are times where evidence is helpful um 
But well, and, like you, like they, you said, evidence evidence is not going to persuade someone to come into the faith. Like yes. that's that's ultimately the goal. That's even the goal of Paul in at the Areopagus. He's he's preaching. He's sharing with them, right? So in a way, he's preaching the gospel, and he's telling them that listen, this unknown God that you are already worshiping. Let me tell you about who that is. And it's kind yeah. of like it's kind of like when when James White and others will say, oh, you, you know, you if if um. And I think they're a hundred percent right. There are those who will say, "Well, we're just protoplasm. We're we've evolved from fish, or whatever like that." And James White would would say, "Well, if we've evolved from fl- fl- uh, fish, and we're just protoplasm bouncing in in and against one another, there is no absolute right and absolute wrong. You cannot judge morality based on how you feel, because I can feel differently. And what gives you the right to f- to tell me what is right and wrong?" if there is no absolute moral truth yeah to yeah. me that is lock stock and barrel a a completely logically consistent argument that the yeah. atheist and agnostic just does not have now I, i'll say this though i'll say this though i have seen and i don't need to mention names you don't need to trash anybody i have seen some presuppositionalist who will bring up that argument and then when it's rejected by the other side wrongly all they will continue to do is to bark that argument. I don't think that's helpful. And this is where I think we can begin to talk about sort of what, what are the goals and purposes of apologetics. Um, well, if people look, if people don't get like, listen, if I give that argument and someone goes, you're wrong. Well, why am I wrong? Well, I just don't feel like it's right. You've just proven my point. You big dumb idiot. <laughs> you know, like, like you, you just did the same thing that I'm saying that the bad presuppositionalists do. Hey, I'm okay with being a bad presuppositionalist. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm the world's greatest apologist. What I'm saying is if you lay out something that is logically consistent and someone goes, yeah, I recognize it's logically consistent. I just disagree with you. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm saying what, so here's, um, so what they'll say is what exactly what you just said, which I'm completely in agreement with, and I think is totally logically clear that if we are just the product of random natural selection, just goo out in the universe, then there's no there's no basis. Not only not is there no basis for right and wrong, there's no basis for logic or reason because mm-hmm. your own mind is just a product of uh, of random events in the universe. You have no reason to think that your mind is of any way capable of rational thought that can right. that can bring you to truth because you thinking that, is just is just like neurons going off right. in your brain and it's just right. it's it's almost like a computer this is a, this is going to happen because of evolution but if you but if you say that to someone and and they and they don't say and, and they say i don't think this is true um that happens too often it's a complete misunderstanding people who do that drive me nuts yeah i and i and i'm not condemning presuppositionalism i'm saying this is when you are done. you are condemning presuppositionalism he's gonna start making fun of you my favorite apologist is a presuppositionalist and i've never heard him do that my, my point is this um okay what is what is the goal of apologetics right i i think ultimately the goal is in fact to defend the faith right i don't think the goal of apologetics even if it has an evangelistic heart is to persuade anyone it is to um uh, defend truth. But I but I also see, and this is where I think we have to sort of distinguish formal apologetics from what you might call everyday apologetics. Because if you're in a formal debate, obviously you want to be honest and kind to that person, but you are also 
in some ways trying to win the debate. As opposed to in everyday apologetics where you're just talking to someone, your goal should not be to win the argument. It should be to win the person. Um, and I think sometimes I've seen it and I've been guilty of this. Uh, I'm condemning the people who do it right along with you. Yeah, it's counterproductive. I, we, we, agree on, we agree on that, Bickford. Uh, but the point I'm making is there's, there's a phrase that has really stuck sort of in my craw in a good way, or maybe the better phrase, it's stuck in my mind as I've, as I've grown in apologetics over the years, um, which is the idea of seek first to understand and then to be understood. Which, which is an attitude that says, I want to defend the faith, but as Paul did, I want to defend it in some ways on your terms. Because yeah. Paul, it's really interesting in that, that uh, you know, presentation of the gospel to the Oropagus. He doesn't quote scripture once. He quotes their prophets. Yeah. And he says, your own writings actually confirm what, my, what, what the word of God teaches. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is something to say for meeting people on their own terms if the argument can be productive. And I think that's the other important standard for apologetics is New Testament clearly teaches do not get involved in pointless quarrels and arguments. So yeah. we are not obligated to argue with someone who will not listen and who uh, will not speak in ways that are productive. Look, I think... I think there are two um, primary reasons for apologetics and or the why. Uh, one is to give confidence to the Christian so that the Christian can have confidence in what he believes. So you can read the scriptures and be convinced of something, but maybe you haven't had the logical conversation in your head, which is a, okay. That's how most people are. You read, you're taught and you go, okay. The, the, when the pastor preached this, I believed it based on what he said in that sermon or, or whatever that might be. Um, but apologetics continues that process and helps give confidence to the Christian for the faith that they have uh, for the tough questions that might not always get teased out in Bible studies and in sermons and whatnot. And I think that maybe, you know, one of the best guys today, Tim Keller, who, um, who recently retired as a pastor, was very apologetics minded. Uh, he has a couple of books, uh, Making Sense of God, and, and I forget the other one, that are that are more geared towards the skeptical mind. He was known, he, his church blew up in, I think, Manhattan. You know, you think of a place where, you know, really, he was the perfect kind of person to be the pastor there and planting a church because uh, there are going to be a lot of skeptics in the business world and people, you know, the, the hoity-toity folks that typically live in Manhattan mm -hmm. that you know, say, well, what do I need God for? Like, look at how, look at all these great things that I have. I didn't need God for this. Mm -hmm. So having someone who can, uh, who can properly articulate the faith in a way that addresses skeptics questions in the midst of preaching is just phenomenal he i think it's so he's someone that we can listen to more regularly and glean a lot of uh, yeah. a lot from so he's a great guy to listen to, to maybe one of the best as far as preaching and including apologetics in there yeah, so yeah. we want to give confidence to to our brothers and sisters in the faith but also to the skeptic who might be trying to poke holes go like listen i know you're trying to i know what your argument is but let me tell you like if i love you right so um my brother-in-law is an atheist i love him very much mm -hmm. uh but the arguments sometimes he makes it just doesn't make it doesn't make any logical sense like you just mm -hmm. it, it's it's like someone shouting into the wind and mm -hmm. 
um he's like the old man shouting at clouds right mm-hmm. like oh. and i've pointed out to him before like dude you realize this doesn't make any sense and let me tell you why you're assuming something about my worldview that isn't true like mm-hmm. i like i can't affirm and i think you said this when you're doing apologetics you want to articulate their view in the best possible light yeah um you want to affirm what the, you want to say this is what you're saying well mm-hmm. oh, this is what you believe okay all right now let's tear it apart let me tell you why this is wrong out yeah. of love for you yeah but this is also where i think you know i, w- I was sort of trashing the bad presuppositionalists earlier now i re- really want to praise the good ones um because i think this is one of the strengths of presuppositionalism is it acknowledges that everyone begins with presuppositions and I think this is one of the lies that we can fall into in apologetics sometimes that, well, we're all just reasonable people who are trying to understand evidence, and sometimes we interpret it differently. No, we begin with assumptions, all of us. Yeah. And the real question at the end of the day is what assumptions do you begin with? What presuppositions do you assume from the start that there is a God and he's revealed himself in the scriptures? Or do you assume something else? Do you presume something? Do you presuppose something else? And one of the things I think we as Christians have to come to terms with is that um, when we engage in apologetics, we are not going to win every argument because not everyone is actually willing to engage in honest discussion. They are much more interested in misrepresenting your views Mm -hmm. and in spouting their own without any accountability to consistency or logical reason. Yeah. So Carolyn brings up a good question. You want to read that for? Yeah. How do we give that confidence? What Bible study should we use for parents and new believers? That's a great question. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll go first. So I think Carolyn, and I feel like Eric will probably have a slightly different answer because he's really good about having particular resources. I think the way I do this is actually by trying to foster sort of an apologetic attitude or an attitude of questions in all Bible study. That's one thing that I really work, and it's been frustrating during this time of um, of stay at home where it's hard to do this through virtual teaching. But I'll tell you, when we were in the in the building together, whenever we would have Bible study in, in, on Sunday or Wednesday evening, um, I'm constantly encouraging people to question and to challenge Um, what they seem to be reading in the scriptures. Because I think in a lot of ways, this isn't just something that you learn once. This is actually an attitude that you cultivate, which is an attitude of really it's faith in God and in his goodness that he can handle questions, that he can handle doubt, uh, and that we, we want to rigorously examine our own beliefs in order to test them for truth. Um, that the idea of so so faith is certainly confidence what we don't see but faith is not blind it's not without reason and so i would say this is actually an attitude to cultivate in people it's not a one-time study it's something that we should always be encouraging our people to do to test what they believe against the word of god to find out if it's really true yeah so i just shared a um a recommended Bible study. It's one that I'm going to go into. I have not uh, gone through it. 
and Nathaniel Bickford will want to punch me in the face because he always tells me don't recommend anything that you haven't read or studied. But I trust R.C. Sproul and Ligonier Ministries. Um, I also just shared a book that I've read called Making Sense of God from Tim Keller. Um, I think both of those resources, one, the Bible study will help you think through the purpose and the need and how to do apologetics. And then the book from Keller will help you really think through the, the logical consistency of who God is in a Christian worldview and how to share it lovingly. So mm. those are two resources I think are really helpful. Um, other than that, I think it's, I think it's important for us as pastors to equip our, equip our, our people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that, that takes some effort into like thinking through what some, what some questions are. Like I'm, I'm going to be preaching on the cross uh, on, on why well, I preach on the cross every Sunday, but where this Sunday we are in John 18, the first 12 verses and, and looking at the arrest of Jesus. But pretty soon we will be at the point in which Jesus is put upon the cross and his death. So one of the apologetic cases that I'm, I'm going to share um, when I'm preaching on this, that in fact, the story of Jesus' arrest through his death, there's an apologetic case to be made for the validity of the Christian faith right there. Why? Well, in the first century, um, who were some of the most, um, I would say, oppressed people or, or people who had very little value? Women. Women, yeah. And who are the first ones to attend Jesus um, in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. Women. If you are the author of the Gospels, right? If you are Matthew, if you're Mark, Luke, or John, you are not going to write about how women were the first, uh, the first ones to witness a resurrected Jesus. You're mm-hmm. not going to show. Now, Jesus is the hero of the story. But if you look at it from a human sense, who are the ones who act most admirably in the midst of Jesus' death or him on the cross or at his arrest? Women. It were the men who cowered in fear and ran away. So you don't write that in the first century if it's not true yeah um, you don't you don't tell people like um peter denies jesus three times right like mm-hmm. imagine being mark luke and john and matthew and go hey pete i'm gonna that we're writing the story right this this made-up story about jesus and we're going to talk about how you uh how you cowered in fear and not only did you rebuke jesus <laughs> who you believe to be the savior, but you also um, denied him three times. You look like a fool. And you think Peter went, oh, sounds like a great plan, guys. No. <laughs> so you you look at that and you see how this right here logically fits within the context of the first century and the written word of God, that in fact, we can believe the word of God and the word of yeah. God reveals Jesus Christ. But, but you've just said something else that I think is really key in understanding the value of apologetics, which is that the gospel is only powerful if it's true. Uh, I, I've heard a phrase used before that it was used once as a sermon illustration, and I look back on it now and go, that's a lot of nonsense. Mm-hmm. The, the illustration was it was a story about um, a pastor who devoted his life to the ministry, and uh, toward the end of his life, he said, if I, you know, die and find out that what I believed wasn't true, if I could go back and live my life again, I would do it exactly the same way just for the joy of it. 
and I think want a bunch of poppycock. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, we are to be pitied above all Pity. men. Pitied. So it really does matter if what we believe is true. It's not just something that makes us feel good or helps us get through the day. Either it's truth or the atheists are right and we are fools. Yeah. The single most important thing is whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead. If he was not raised from the dead, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, then we are to be pitied and we should go back and turn away and, and live our lives in whatever. First off, if, right, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, no one on earth has the right to tell you what is right or wrong, period. But if Jesus has been raised from the dead, which we believe he has, we not only are saved by his work and are called to serve him, but he also tells us how to live in the light instead of the darkness. And we are to live in that light. There is a moral absolute right and an absolute wrong. Mm. Uh, I want to do one other thing before we, you know, come to a close, because we probably want to try to keep it close to an hour to leave time for the after hours show. I just want to tell a quick story for those who might be listening and maybe have felt some of those fears of what if, what if a child or someone you know, a new believer asks questions that we don't know how to answer or uh, starts, you know, feeling doubts and you sort of feel that anxiety. Um, I will tell you, and I, I know not every story ends up like mine, but here's at least one story of where it was good that questions and doubts were allowed. I spent a, a, like several years in my adolescence and teenage years asking lots of questions and having lots of doubts about the faith. And there were a lot of moments when, if not for the grace of God, I could have very easily turned away from the faith. Um, one of the things God used to keep me in the faith was he put around me people who weren't afraid of my questions and doubts. And I was able to voice them and process them. And then as a result, to eventually move through them and learn to live with them. As opposed to, I think if I'd expressed those things and my teachers and parents had responded with fear or tried to shut me up or keep me from asking those things, maybe I would have been turned away from the faith because I would have felt like I, I, they don't care if it's true or not. It was in the doubting and the questioning that God really affirmed and solidified my faith. And so I, I want to encourage everyone listening, don't be afraid of the doubts and questions. No, don't be afraid of yours and don't be afraid of others' doubts and questions. God will use those things to accomplish his purposes. Well, the key is if you have doubts and you have questions, that doesn't mean that you've been lost or you lost mm -hmm. your salvation or, or anything. It means you have questions that need to be answered. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how awful is it when, um, you know, I, I do this as a parent. I know we all do, but your kid asks, yeah, the, because I said so it is the most asinine thing. The, um, I hate the idea of appealing to authority as the reason to do something. Give me logic. Tell me why. So, give me the reason, not just because you told me to, right? Because if you're, if, if, if all you're doing, right? If I tell my kid, no, you can't have a snack. Well, why? Because I said so. That is so, um, what's the time? It's so flippant and it's so like, well, I, I guess my kid's going to think that I just, I decide things on a whim. 
that I, I'm not a benevolent father. I'm not a loving father. I'm just one who, well, I just feel like exerting my authority over you. And that's what's important. Therefore, I am telling you no. That's now, dumb. Now, if I tell my kid, no, you can't have a snack because you literally just had lunch. And maybe it's better for you to have a snack in an hour or so. So it can tide you over until dinner. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then if they go, but, but dad, then you know, you, you, you get them, you know, I don't hit my kids, but, um, you go after, and then you say, listen, now it's, now you can, now you can appeal to your authority, right? Because now you've given them the logical reason as to why they can't have a snack and you have, um, they need to respect your authority as the parent. You need to get some different friends. These guys are savages. <laughs> yeah, Mike. Mike is uh, what? Mike has made his first and last appearance on this podcast. That's for sure. Um, so you know um, I also shared on here. I, I I also shared in the comments a link to um, in Amazon to the New Testament documents. Are they reliable? By F. F. Bruce. It is the best work I think in the last century, and it's short. It's like, mm. um, I don't know, 80, 80 something pages right here. Um, it, it goes, it points to the validity and the reason we have the scriptures. And I think that that is incredibly important. Before we move on, I, I'll just say this. I think we're going to need to revisit this conversation. Um, and maybe we can bring Victor on because he is a presuppositionalist. Cause I was with you right up until the very end there, when you started sort of, um, bashing appeals to authority, obviously when you're talking to your kids, I'm in agreement with you on that, but I think in some ways, um, a, a consistent apologetic actually is an appeal to authority because it's saying that the word of God says, and it, it does not, it does not feel obligated to answer every question or to offer a logical reason for everything in the mind of the unbeliever. So I think this is something we can revisit. That's, okay. That's, that's correct. However, when people say, trust me, I'm a doctor or trust <laughs> me, I'm the government. I automatically go, not a chance that I'm trusting. <laughs> like when someone says, don't you think that, like, um, uh, look at the COVID crisis that we're in the midst of, right? Uh, when people say, now I'm not one of these truthers or whatnot that think like everything's a hoax. Okay. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But when someone says, trust the government, they have your best interest at heart. I go, you are an idiot. If you think, if you think the government actually like has your best interest at heart and you're just to blindly follow them then that it that is just that's asset they've proven over and again throughout history not only of our country but in other countries that the government has power and control in its uh in, in its best in its best interest right but i say that to say now the government can certainly employ people that will give you a logical reason as to why you should do what they tell you and if it makes sense then you do it, but they shouldn't. You shouldn't just say, "Well, they're the government, so I, I'm just going to do whatever they tell me to do, even if they say because we said so." That right. is not. But but don't you think that is, in some ways, what we actually um, say to God, that we we're going to do this because you said so, not because we can offer some logical reason to 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 appease the the questions in my mind, but because you have the authority to. Uh, to, to establish truth and to command my choices. Yeah. So I think there's certainly, you know, God 
is all authoritative. So that's different. But he also gives us his word to at and we're able to ask questions. So I'm talking about when we are when we are communicating with other human beings, right? And someone says, well, just trust them because they're a doctor. Well, that right. doesn't make to me like if the doctor said, Hey, take this shot. Why? Because I said so. I'm not gonna go, huh. Okay. <laughs> no, but if the doctor says, Oh, you need to take the shot or, you know, because it's going to, you know, inoculate you from whatever disease I'll go. Okay. Got it. Give me the is, shot. But is, you know, is this, is this a good opportunity to accuse you of being an anti-vaxxer? <laughs> no, I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all. <laughs> I know. Moose, I just... Moose, Moose does bring up a good question. He asked in the military, mm -hmm. did you explain all of your instructions? I did not explain all of my instructions, but I explained most of them. And I'll tell you why, because I recognize that people are inquisitive. And I also recognize that as a leader, if I can explain to my troops, the reason as to why we are doing something, they will do so with much more zeal. And they will feel as though they are not, they will feel more a part of the mission because usually their lives are the ones that are on the line as well as my own. You're only as good in the military as, as your troops. And so there were times I would always tell my soldiers, listen, I will try to explain to you as much as, as, as often as I can and with as much detail as I can with what we have to accomplish. But there will be times where you're just going to have to do what I told you to do because we do not have time to, um, to explain everything. Here's an example. If we're trying to take an objective, as we are trying to take that, before we've even tried to take that objective, we've already gone through a briefing as to why we're trying to take this objective. And we, we are learning about what the objective is, its, its vulnerabilities and all that stuff. Here are the tactics that we're going to use, and this is why. But in the midst of combat and shots are fired, you have leaders to direct soldiers to act in appropriate ways. You go over there. You go over there. You know, flank them on, on this side, and we're going on this side. Now, if the guy, if your soldier says, uh, while bullets are flying, well, Sergeant, why are we flanking from the right-hand side and not the bat, uh, not on the left side? Well, we don't have time for that there. Um, but in the briefing, we might say, hey, we plan on we plan on flanking them and using this maneuver um, it, because you're looking at a, a picture of the compound, an aerial view of the compound. You go, well, this area looks like it's more vulnerable. But now you get to it in real time because the military has terrible capabilities, at least when I was in. So who knows? You could have you could have sent up a request for imagery and the imagery that you got was 10 years old. It happens. This is the type of thing that we send our troops into combat with. I digress. Yeah, um, uh, it looks very different. Uh, think, now you have to adjust on the fly. I think this is a good place for us to pause the conversation and sort of close up with the catechism. But I would like to revisit this at some point because um, I think there's I think there's more to be said. And I, I enjoy talking about apologetics. I, I hope, if nothing else, maybe we've piqued the interest of some of you who, who had never really pursued it before. It, the defense of the faith isn't just a good thing to do. It's really fun. It is. And I, and I think it's important for us to do it and to do it with grace, but also like anything with the scriptures, don't expect to get a good grasp of things overnight. Mm -hmm. You have a lifetime to learn these things. You have a lifetime of um this is going to particularly interest people who are inquisitive there are some people who aren't naturally inquisitive fine take it or leave it but those who are naturally inquisitive 
um, are, are oftentimes going to be the ones who might stray away from the faith if they don't get their answers to the mm-hmm. questions that they have that they're inquiring about. Or, or, or at least you, there are answers. Yeah. Or at least if they're not allowed to ask the questions, because I, I don't think we should say that every question is going to have an answer. That's one of the things I had to come to terms with as, with, as a, a believer with an inquisitive mind is in, in, you know, part of faith is trusting God in the things you don't understand. Well, here's the thing. God is infinite. We are finite. And our desire to know all things is really goes to the root of our self-idolatry and our rebellion against God in the garden. So we desire to be God, and that's just not our – we are not God, right? We're going to be conformed – we are being conformed into the image of Christ, but we are not Christ. We are not God. Therefore, he does not owe us any sort of answers. But there are answers available. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. most of the questions that i've heard people come up with you go oh yeah i i either know the answer or i vaguely remember hearing the answer and I'll, let me go find it again mm-hmm. you know it, there there are answers out there but there are some where things will have to live in tension yep so and, the, and the, the last thing i'll say the other thing to keep in mind is that even when you're giving answers to those questions be in prayer because no amount of arguing or convincing or persuading can do the work of the holy spirit mm-hmm. so we defend the faith we preach the gospel, we pursue truth, and we trust God to open minds and hearts to that truth right. and to do what only he can do. That's right. Hey, uh, before we get into the catechism, please go ahead on Apple Podcasts, subscribe and share. Even if you watch this stuff live, it helps um, people see it. The more people who subscribe to the podcast, Bible Banter, search on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, give us an honest five-star review. Don't leave any of those dishonest three-star reviews. Or if you do, at least just name Luke in it. So, uh, <laughs> but with that well, being the case, today if they name Luke in it, you're going to be the one who gets the flag. That's fine. I'm okay. So, um, go ahead, do that for us, please. That that is fundamental to to what helps make our podcast go. You can share this video as well on Facebook. And if you would like to join the Bible Banter Club or the Banter Club, uh, we'd love to have you. We have uh, There's more benefits there that are increasing every single day, and it's what helps make our podcast go. So we appreciate it. We appreciate the people who are already supporting us. You are God's gift to us for sure. Thank you. And, and we appreciate all of your input today. I'll tell you what, um, Bickford – really helped to sort of clarify my understanding of presuppositionalism, even in his brief comments today. So always enjoy hearing from you guys too. Yeah. All right, cool. Now, this is one way we can help answer questions by asking them. So Luke, why did God make you? (laughs) First off, I ask this every day, why did he make you? Um, And all things. (laughs) Why Why did God make you and all things? Why did God make me in all things? I'm actually going to try to give a serious answer. Okay. For his glory. Very good. Very good. And this is truly what makes the difference between, I think, Reformed theology and, and others, is that um, at the heart of Reformed theology is the fact that we are made to glorify God, bring him glory, and in, in, in all that. So here's the answer. For his own glory and good pleasure in our supreme joy in him. It's a very John Piper answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I, I, yeah, it's beautiful. So Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 
Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful word, man. Yeah. For we are to live. God has God has made us. He has made all things so that we might enjoy Him, know Him, yeah. and enjoy Him forever for to His glory. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's beautiful, man. And, and I think two of the passages you quoted last week, uh, talking about creation, that we were all that all things were made by God and for God. So it's not just that God made you; it's that He made you for Himself. Mm-hmm. Amen, brother. Well, that's a good word. So this has been uh, another episode of Bible Banter. You know, for those who are a part of the Banter Club, and if you're not already, you can join and enter to win this this beautiful Bible uh, 400th anniversary edition of the KJV or in commemoration of the KJV and uh, the first 15 people who subscribe or join the banter club. Boom. You get a chance to win it. So God we bless you. Bi- we need to come up with a Bible banter gang sign. I'll no, practice. we're not going to do that. However, we are about to get off air and do our after hour show, which will be available no later than tomorrow. Just an audio format talking about George Floyd and, and a little bit of racial reconciliation here in the United States of America. So God bless you. Pray for our nation. Pray for God's church and pray that there be comfort to the Floyd family and those in Minneapolis. God bless you. Take care.